Good morning. I think that's the first time we've said that on this show. Uh, good morning, everybody. Well, just as you thought it was safe uh, to start getting into Christmas, going to the beach, going skiing, whatever you were doing, the MPPF came out, finally, almost a year after the consultation draft. So we're here to help work you through it. Um, before we get started, I'd like to make uh, the usual uh, invitation to you to make a donation to charity in lieu of a registration fee. Now, we have our normal uh, suggested charities, but today we'd like to do something different because uh, a very dear friend of ours, uh, one of the nicest people I know, and I think probably the same uh, that everybody else, same thing would be said by everybody else, uh, Jonathan Easton, KC, Emma KC, um, this year. Um, Jonathan's a little bit poorly at the moment, to say the least. He's got stage four um, colon cancer. He's posted about this. Um, first and foremost, it's a get checked. Do it. Get checked. Um, if you're feeling a little bit off or if you're just get for a certain stage of your life, get checked. Um, the best thing. Secondly, his son, Oscar, is doing the Yorkshire Three Peaks in um, in January to raise money for Macmillan, who, who knows anybody who's um, experienced cancer will know are uh, one of the most fantastic charities out there. Um, so we would like to encourage you to make a, a donation to Oscar's Just Giving page. Rob, uh, our wonderful producer, has put a link up in the, I think it's either the chat or the Q&A, um, and it will be on our website, Twitter, and and on the link on YouTube as well. So please do uh, consider that. And get well soon, Jonathan. Uh, we, we can't wait to see you. Um, now, um, how are we going to do this? Well, how we're going to do it is rather than having a guest, uh, which we felt would, would not be the most efficient way of doing this, we've, we've divvied up uh, the changes into into five parts somewhat arbitrarily, uh, given the time constraints. So we're going to do it as follows. So Chris is going to start dealing with the changes to the tilted balance and the housing-related policies in the framework. I'm going to uh, talk you through then the changes to policies related to character and design and density. Mary is going to then uh, do a little session on plans and plan-making, excluding Greenbelt. Paul's going to then deal with Greenbelt, uh, Sat is going to deal with the rest, uh, but perhaps most significantly the um, the written ministerial statement, um, which contains a lot of additional, um, very important and interesting material. Um, so that's how we're going to do it. Um, I've got no idea how long we're going to be. Uh, we'll be as long as it is. Um, hope you enjoy it. Do ask questions or comments in the chat, um, and um, we hope you find it useful. So with that, Chris, over to you. Thank you very much, Charlie. Good morning, everybody. Presumption is here, but uh, it's a little bit early for him, so he's not having anything to drink, obviously. Right, I've got 10 key changes in relation to housing, and we're going to be disciplined. We're going to be about 10 minutes each uh, and have a little discussion about these things. Right, change number one, advisory housing targets. So this is set out in paragraph 61. And this is exactly what they said would happen in the draft. We're going to have advisory housing targets rather than um, mandatory housing targets. Now, everybody knows that paragraph 11A required local authorities to meet their needs, and that remains. And 11B says there are reasons why you don't have to do that, such as Greenbelt. So as many people observe, we don't actually have mandatory housing targets as it stands at the moment. But... The fact that they've used the word advisory makes absolutely clear that um, they're going to have a different status and they're going to be less significant in terms of needing to be adhered to. However, 
and this is a crucial point, probably the most important point on the housing section, is that there is an exceptional circumstance test to be imposed for deviating from that. So if you want to adopt an alternative approach, that is justified, but it, uh, it can be justified, but it has to be under exceptional circumstances. And if you do that, then you're expected to still reflect current and future demographic and market signals, which sounds remarkably like back to the future, doesn't it? Because that's object how we did with objective assessed need. So for all of those of you out there, like James Donner and uh, Anthony Pollard and uh, Matt Spry, we can look forward to more debates continuing in relation to what is the appropriate figure. But it's interesting, the word exceptional, because um, what we're going to have a battlefield over that issue. What is exceptional? You're a Greenbelt authority. Well, 12.5% of England is covered by Greenbelt. That's not really exceptional. And I can see that there's going to be a major issue now at local plan inquiries, much more debate about whether, in fact, the authority has exceptional circumstances to justify deviating from using the standard method figure. So not all bad news because advisory housing targets are getting a bad press. They get the thumbs down in the Times uh, uh, leader today. However, those who look carefully at the detail will see that there's this exceptional circumstance test. Second, number two, the five-year housing land supply test remains. There's been much debate that we would lose the five-year land supply or in the context of advisory housing targets, we would, we would lose um, the concept of a five-year housing land supply. That hasn't happened. Five-year land supply remains. It'll be measured against either the local plan or after five years, uh, local plan requirement or after five years against the standard method figure. So business as usual with five-year land supply. But hang on, number three is five-year land supply requirement is not required now with a plan that's been adopted in the last five years. That's paragraph 76. Now, that's been trailed for a number of years, and the previous versions of the MPPF since about 2018 have suggested there'd be a holiday um, of about a year to 18 months, depending on when it was done in the year, if a local authority raised the issue about wanting protection from a five-year land supply at the Regulation 19 stage. But as it happens, we now have a, a situation where there's a much longer period and it's much clearer. And so for five years, there's protection from five-year land supply. Uh, just two quick points about that. That is very much seen as an incentive to encourage plans. So there's a lot of negatives around this. But of course, it's designed to encourage those authorities who've um, not produced a plan to get on and produce a plan. Uh, and for that reason, ministers think it's important to have this, uh, um, this safeguard for five years. So local politicians can say, look, if we have a plan for five years, we won't face speculative development. But the second point is, and um, important for all of those experts who deal with five-year land supply, is you're going to have a situation where it's still going to be impossible to calculate it and it'll still be a material consideration. It just won't trigger the presumption. So we're still going to look at fiber land supply, although probably not for allocated sites. The third thing then is that we're going to have um, four-year supply for councils which are progressing a plan and it's reached regulation 18 or 19 stage. 
That will happen for two years from the date of the framework coming out yesterday. So this is a transitional arrangement designed to allow authorities a period of time in which they will not be under the strictures of five-year land supply. That drops down to four years. And again, this has been widely trailed. But but crucially, it's only for a two-year period. And it's really designed to allow local authorities who've now decided they want to move to a lower housing target that they have time in which to do that and they'll benefit from some protection along the way. Now, the fourth point is that um, we're going to have um, a need to demonstrate five-year housing land supply at the time the local plan is adopted. Now, we used to have that under the original MPPF, paragraph 49. Remember that? We litigated that all the way to the Supreme Court. And that was the paragraph that said, effectively, your plan was out of date if you didn't have a five-year land supply. So, of course, local authorities wanted to have a... Um, yeah, housing land supply is out of date if you haven't got five-year land supply. And you had to, therefore, have an adopted plan where you had demonstrated a five-year supply. Otherwise, immediately, your housing or your relevant policies for the supply of housing are out of date. So, again, back to the future. On adoption, councils will be looking to demonstrate that they've got a five-year land supply. That is sometimes happening, but not always. But the crucial point is that if you want the protection for the first five years, you've got to demonstrate this at the point at which the plan is being examined and the plan is then adopted. And that is paragraph 76B. Right. Uh, Sixth point, I think six, um, is urban uplift. The urban uplift, the local, uh, the MPPF now says, should be accommodated in those cities and urban areas in which it's identified. So if you take Leicester, for example, they're saying it should be located and identified in Leicester. Ironic when there's already some authorities like Harborough who are um, entering into an agreement to take some of Leicester's needs. Now, of course, that can continue, but the government's making clear its intentions. It wants to see more urban development and it wants to see the urban uplift, the 35% uplift in the biggest cities being accommodated in those cities. Number seven, uh, housing for older people. This is getting more and more coverage because, of course, we've got an increasingly ageing population. And paragraph 63 now expands what's meant by housing for older people. Um, and uh, it's um, where it's required um, for uh, retirement housing, housing with care and care homes. So added emphasis on this, which we already know gets considerable support in the PPG because it's identified as a critical need. Eight, there's a reference now and something in the um, uh, MPPF identifying specifically community-led housing. We've done it. Has, uh, have we got planning news for you special on community-led housing in London? This is now being increasingly recognised and the government has included reference to that and you'll see that defined in the glossary as well. Number nine, housing delivery test. Well, we've had some results for the housing delivery test out yesterday. Um, we'll deal with that at a later show and uh, the increasing number of authorities that are failing that. But it makes clear in the MPPF that you don't need um, to, if you don't need to produce a five-year supply because you've recently adopted the plan or because you're in the four-year zone, then you don't need to adhere to the consequences of the housing delivery test. 
And the 10th, and undoubtedly my favourite, is there's more emphasis on mansard roofs. So we all know how important mansard roofs are to addressing housing needs. And in the glossary, we now have a definition of mansard roofs. And um, that, that's obviously a, a, a roof, a type of roof that is characterised by two slopes, the lower uh, steep and the upper shallow. So we're all much clearer about what a mansard roof is. So there we go. Uh, there are changes, significant changes. My overall view is if you get a plan adopted, then you're going to be in a better position against speculative developments. But the government, as we'll see, is keen now that local authorities progress a plan. The negative, the key negative, is that it is advisory. We will see some councils move away from housing requirements, and they're given a two-year period now in which to do that. And we can see, obviously, there will be authorities that choose to go down that route. Thank you very much, Charlie. Thanks, Chris. Uh, and certainly that seems to be the key underlying policy objective of the changes is to give local authorities as much incentive as possible uh, to have a plan in place. And there's the obvious carrot and stick uh, there. A couple of thoughts. Paragraph 226 on the uh, four-year supply for two years, Reg 18 and 19. It, it says that applies where the Reg 18 or 19 plan includes both the policies map and proposed allocations towards uh, meeting housing need. A couple of people already asked me, what's a policies map in the context of Reg 18? That are individual plans without one overall plan, a policies map. So expect to see that point debated, I expect, in months to come. Uh, somebody's posted the question, uh, probably my favourite bit of the whole framework is footnote 25, which in, in the context of um, areas which may um, not have to plan for me due to demographic circumstances, there's reference to Islands with no land bridge that have a significant proportion of wild <laughs> Some Someone has said, is that the Isle of Wight or Great Britain as a whole? Um, I think it's meant to be the Isle of Wight. Um, why doesn't say the Isle of Wight um, it is a matter for others to um, to comment upon. Uh, but that's my understanding. Is it we call that Bob C provision. Um, now, um, I'm going to move on to character. Um, and the key focus of... Uh, of, of my uh, middle piece is going to be the new paragraph 130 and uh, much turns on the wording of this so um, Rob I think is going to, going to kindly put up paragraph 130 um, so paragraph 130 says in applying the, the preceding paragraph relating to densities and I'll come back to that to existing urban areas and that phrase is important significant uplifts in the average density of residential development may again note that word may not must be inappropriate if the resulting built form will be wholly, again, note that word, wholly out of character with the existing area. Such circumstances should be evident through an authority-wide uh, design code, uh, which is adopted or will be adopted as part of the development plan. Again, note the word should, should be evidence, not maybe. Um, so there's a number of components there. Um, the, the, it, it differs quite significantly from the consultation version. And uh, Rob, if you're able to get up uh, paragraph Eleven uh, B of the consultation version. This may take a moment, but there. So this is uh, the pre predecessor version that was consulted upon a year ago in the context of the the um, presumption in favour of sustainable development in the plan making context. An illustration of where the adverse impacts would significantly demonstrate outweigh the benefits uh, was where situations where meeting need in full would mean building at densities significantly out of character with the existing area. Um, so if we go back to the uh, to paragraph 130, what's changed? 
Uh, well, firstly, it's been taken out of, a, of the tilted balance or presumption in favour and put into its own paragraph, which at least arguably makes it uh, less of a Trump card or less, less easy to be used as a Trump card in the context of plan making and decision taking. Secondly, there was always a, a concern in the consultation version, the reference to character might be taken to mean not simply um, urban areas and sort of building up densities significantly um, greater than uh, the urban grain of the existing area, but also greenfield development, because it's often said uh, that um, a greenfield development on an allocated site is out of character because the character's greenfield and putting houses on it changes the character. And quite often design policies are cited in reasons for refusal for greenfield development. So by putting it in the in the, um, the density building character section of the framework and, and adding the words existing urban areas, it makes clear that this is a policy that only uh, applies to those areas. Secondly, um, the trigger now is wholly out of character, not simply significantly, but wholly out of character. That, on any view, is going to be treated, will have to be treated as a, a high, if not very high, um, a th threshold. Um, I mean, for example, if you have an urban area which is of a mixed or fractured character, maybe there's a superstore, some PSBA, there might be some low-rise housing, but there might be some derelict municipal buildings. So you've got a mixed character. It's quite hard to say there that increased density would be wholly out of character because there's already a fractured, mixed sort of urban grain. Um, so that's going to be a high threshold. Even where it's triggered, um, the uh, it's, it's said that um, it may be inappropriate, not must be inappropriate. So there's still scope for something akin to the Shard of Grass, the Heron Tower, etc., something that's that's radically different. Um, and further, um, the, so the last sentence of paragraph 30 makes clear that such circumstances have to be evidenced through a design code. So it's, it's no good simply asserting um, that um, the uh, uplift in density would be uh, wholly out of character. It has to be evidence, and it has to be evidence through particular means, namely a design code. Um, and later on, um, the framework in 138 um, explains what, what's meant by design code. So you can't just rebrand something which you might already have in an emerging evidence base as a design code. It must be, as the second sentence of 138 says, in line with national model design code. Uh, and so, um, for example, legacy density studies, etc., unlikely to to qualify as the, as that. Um, so it's a it, the, there will be some tension, I suspect, between um, situations where it's said uh, this paragraph one through thirty might apply, and other aspects of the framework uh, which encourage higher density. So, for example, um, preserved from the predecessor version are what's now numbered. Of course, the paragraph numbers have once again changed. Uh, completely, so we're going to have to memorise all the new paragraph numbers. But former 120D, now 124D, um, says in the context of underutilised lands and buildings, um, then uh, promote and support the development of such buildings uh, and where suppliers constrained, look at whether available sites could be used more effectively. Well, using more effectively means densification. There's then paragraph 128 and 128D uh, talks about the desirability of maintaining an area's prevailing character or of promoting regeneration and change. So in some situations, maintaining prevailing character uh, may not be appropriate. Regeneration and change may be appropriate. Lastly, 135C, 
uh, also preserved. 135C, um, again, as before, encourages development and decisions to ensure that, uh, plan making and decisions, sorry, to ensure that development is sympathetic to local character, etc., whilst not preventing or discouraging appropriate innovation or change such as increased densities. So I think all of that puts paragraph 130 into context uh, and to my mind makes clear that the wholly out of character test is going to be a, a high hurdle for someone opposing development uh, to object. Lastly, also preserved is paragraph 59 of the National Model Design Code. And the National Model Design Code is itself incorporated, incorporated by reference into the framework by paragraph 139 and footnote 55. And look what the National Model Design Code says. Um, sorry, the National Design Guide, forgive me, the National Design Guide, not the, the Model Design Code. And the Design Guide says at paragraph 59, where the scale or density of new development is very different to the existing place, it may be more appropriate to create a new identity rather than scale up the existing character of an existing place in its context. So the National Design Guide, uh, consistently with, with 124D, 128, um, C and uh, 135C, consistently with those provisions, uh, encourages um, step change, C change in some circumstances. So to my mind, that all puts paragraph 130 into context uh, and suggests to me that it's a um, fairly extreme situation that will engage uh, that paragraph. Lastly, Sasha will come on to this in relation to the Whitman Ministerial Statement, but where a case officer, after an iterative iterative design evolution process has recommended approval to members of a proposed development in a uh, urban area that may be of a significantly higher density, it may be a little bit harder for members to kick it out. And it's often on these kinds of issues that member overturns happen um, because the written ministerial statement makes clear that the Secretary of State expects uh, overturns by members to be relatively rare. Um uh, and so members should be less trigger happy. There's a reminder that there could be cost consequences. Um, and so to my mind, therefore, um, once again, it, it 130 will be a difficult paragraph for members to rely upon um, too freely where officers have recommended approval for regenerative change. That's the main aspect of the character provisions I wanted to highlight. I just wanted to touch very briefly on paragraph 140. Um, as well, paragraph 140 of the framework, um, this, um, that LPA should ensure that relevant planning conditions refer to clear and accurate plans and drawings, which provide um, visual clarity about design and development, are clear about the approved use of materials where appropriate. Um, and further, all that text is new. At first blush, uh, that may potentially uh, mean that where plans are insufficiently clear, uh, insufficiently accurate indeed in terms of, of the desired development, that may itself potentially be a reason for refusal or at least a reason uh, to require the developer to go back and resubmit uh, plans which may attend, it may in turn raise Weecroft and Hoban Studios issues. So 140 is something that is going to require perhaps an additional degree of due diligence by those promoting an application before they finalise and submit it to make sure there is sufficient clarity uh, as to design. Uh, so that's it from me on character. Uh, Mary, over to you. Thank you very much, Charlie, and good morning, everybody um, from London. So I'd like to start on the very positive note that uh, paragraph one begins with, which is reminding us that preparing and maintaining up-to-date plans 
should be seen as a priority in meeting the government's objective. Uh, and they remind us that the objective is to provide sufficient, now there, there's a new word, sufficient housing and other development in a sustainable way. So there's a clear indication right at the outset that the government sees plan making as a priority. And it seems to me that we've now got to really a tiered approach to planning policy in the MPPF. Those planning authorities that are in the t what I would call the top rank division are those with up-to-date local plans. And an up-to-date local plan, by definition, is one which has been adopted within the last five years. And as uh, Chris has already explained, they are now free from the commitment to maintain an annual five-year housing land supply. And um, I think Chris might find it... Um, I think Chris might find some inspectors less interested in five-year housing land supply in those situations. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but the Division 2 authorities are those which have been relegated, and they are the ones which do not have, by definition, an up-to-date local plan. And they therefore face a more onerous policy obligation. Uh, which is described in the written ministerial statement as providing a clearer than ever incentive to get plans in place. And so those incentives are, of course, the need to maintain the five-year housing land supply position, as Chris has mentioned, or a four-year one if you are um, in a situation where you have at least done the right thing uh, in promoting a local plan. So that, as I see it, that four-year housing land supply uh, test is rewarding those who have stuck with local plans hitherto. And it's important to say that although it includes authorities, uh, as both Chris and Charlie have mentioned, who, that have got to Reg 18 stage, you have to actually have allocations for housing in your Reg 18. And I take it that you have to have identified where they are that may sound uh, obvious, on your map. Uh, and that's important because quite a lot of authorities have adopted a position of producing a Reg 18 with no allocations, just to discuss the numbers. Let's take uh, 18 months over a Reg 18 without actually identifying allocations. That's not going to get you into a four-year bracket. So it's a combination of carrots and sticks is how I would describe this and it's all about encouraging councils to invest and maintain an up-to-date local plan. The next really significant thing, I think, is the change in paragraph 14 in respect of neighbourhood plans. So recognising that those locations with no up-to-date local plan presents a problem for those communities who want to um, bring forward a neighbourhood plan, more protection is being given to those promoting neighbourhood plans. I say protection, what I mean is protection from the presumption in favour of uh, uh, sustainable development, in other words, the tilted balance. And so in relation to um, the change, there is now uh, a protection 
so you are not required uh, effectively. Sorry, you're, where paragraph 11D is engaged, in other words, the presumption in favour of sustainable development, you, the neighbourhood plan, uh, will effectively enjoy protection so long as it became part of the development plan five years or less before the decision is being made. And so long as, same same old thing, so long as the neighbourhood plan contains policies for an allocation of housing. So in the written ministerial statement issued uh, yesterday, there's a little piece which says, effectively, all you need is one allocation in a neighbourhood plan to buy you this added protection, which, which I think is just, a, I don't know, it seems a little cynical to me, the way it's explained in the written ministerial statement. All you need to do is just allocate, what, one site, one house, really? Seems a little, a little um, uh, uh, counterintuitive. The other important change uh, and distinction from the draft this time last year, you'll recall that they were discussing uh, the soundness test and it was proposed to remove the justification part of the soundness test. That has not come to pass and so the soundness test continues to include the requirement policies to be justified. The other thing which is important, which uh, Charlie has mentioned in the context of plan making, is paragraph, the new paragraph 130. And I absolutely agree with him that this wholly out of character is going to be a difficult bar for the authorities to evidence, and they will need to evidence it. And I find it uh, slightly constraining that they are, are, are being told that the only way they can evidence it is through the design code. I thought design codes, I see design codes as more positive documents. I see design codes as paving the way for what information about what should happen. Not, not as it were, information about what should not be happening, but more information about what should be happening. Um, and I think it's a little arbitrary to suggest that, for example, townscape studies uh, as part of an evidence base wouldn't be entirely appropriate tools in order to demonstrate which parts of your area uh, are uh, uh, exceptionally um, high density development would be wholly out of character. The next point that I want to make is that plans that are reached by the 19th of March next year, the Reg 19 stage, need apply the um, the MPPF December, this MPPF policy. Um, so if you reach Reg 19 before the 19th of March, you can still use the relevant MPPF. But if you reach Reg 19 after that date, you have to, in your new policies, apply um, the new MPPF, and that that's logical and that's just uh, consistent with what they've been doing. The other really important um, point that was made in the written ministerial statement is that uh, with more powers and freedoms comes greater accountability. And yesterday, the Secretary of State wrote to the seven worst authorities in terms of plan making, requiring them to publish a timetable within 12 weeks of yesterday, uh, or else effectively threatening powers of intervention. 
And those authorities are Amber Valley, Ashfield District Council, Basildon, Castle Point, Medway, St Albans City and District, and Uttlesford. And the keen-eyed amongst you uh, uh, historians will know that Basildon, Castle Point, and St Albans were one of the, were three of the fifteen that were the subject of action back in 2017-2018 when Sajid Javid was sec- the Secretary of State. But the other interesting thing that the written ministerial statement says is that even if you're not one of those seven, if you do not have an up-to-date local plan, the Secretary of State is expecting you as a council within the next 12 weeks to provide a timetable. So you need a new local development scheme and you need to provide the Secretary of State with copies of that LDS within 12 weeks of yesterday, setting out your timetables for your new local plans. Two other authorities were designated for their poor decision-making, Chorley and Fairham. And finally, for those of you who are, who are following what's going on in West Berkshire, last night the council was due to meet in order to de- decide whether to withdraw their local plan, which is already at examination and which is, has been the subject of lots of questions as between the inspector and the uh, council. And the inspector has just issued uh, issued a uh, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, his matters issue uh, matters and issues, and yesterday the Secretary of State issued a Section Twenty Seven direction, indeed, uh, directing and preventing, therefore, West Berkshire from withdrawing their local plans and basically telling them to get on and provide the answers to the inspectors' questions. And interestingly, the date of that letter suggests. Well, the, the reference to the inspector's question suggests to me that that letter's been sitting around for a, for a, for a little while. Um, so that's, that's my whistle, uh, whistle stop tour. So I think the message is clear to councils who have been delaying, withdrawing uh, their local plans. You need to get on um, if you want to enjoy the the carefree days of not having to worry about a five-year housing land supply. Thank you very much, Charlie. Back to you. Thanks, Mary. Um, I knew as the words were coming out of my mouth when I said feel free to ask any questions that I was going to regret that. We've had about 56 million. (laughs) Um, I'm going to try and pick a couple. I won't name who they are from because the GPVR police will take me away with their blue helmets. But um, somebody has asked, um, does the Regulation 1819 hands-off uh, five-year supply, four-year supply instead. Does that affect the tilt of balance if the relevant authority is under 75% on the housing delivery test? No, it doesn't. Uh, if you fail the housing delivery test to the extent where you are subject to presumption, then a emerging plan ain't going to save you. And that may suggest, along with other, other aspects of, of the changes, an increasing emphasis actually on delivery, which is in line with, with much of what you said, Mary. Secondly, someone's asked about the um, transitional provision in paragraph 224 and footnote 79, which says that the policy in paragraph 76, namely that a local authority doesn't have to show five-year supply for five years after its strategic policies are adopted, um, that doesn't apply um, in relation to um, applications made on or after the date of the publication of the version, this version of the framework, so on or 
sorry, honorable, uh, so um, no, it was only only applies to applications. Sorry, made on or after the date of the publication of framework. So any application made before yesterday um, wouldn't be deprived of the ability to run a five-year supply case in circumstances where they would be under paragraph seventy-six um, from yesterday onwards. I suspect at some point uh, there's going to be an argument about what's meant by an application made. Does it mean the application submitted or does it mean it's been validated? To my mind, the, the instinctively, I'd be inclined to say made means made, not validated. Um, but uh, doubtless there'll be um, an argument about that somewhere at some point. I agree, um, I agree, Charlie, because if it was validation, why didn't they use the word validated? They well, could have easily done that. It's a well-known term of art. And otherwise, it puts the ability of local authority to effectively manipulate w w which, which part of the framework applies. And Charlie, uh, just, just on Mary's point, because you picked up on that word, Mary, about sufficient housing, the language that's changed right at the start of paragraph one. Roger Heifer has asked, has the, um, has the change in paragraph 15 um, from referring to plans meeting housing need rather than addressing them, does that have significance? I think it does. I think that there is something significantly different about meeting housing needs as opposed to just addressing them. And, and I think that um, that's another indication the government wants to see housing needs met, obviously, subject to deviating from the standard method. Absolutely. Another, and all of these wrinkles are going to have to be um, considered in, um, in, in inquiries and, and other fora in the months to come. Another point to bear in mind for our viewers, in relation to neighbourhood plans, obviously, as Mary's indicated, the shelf life of the paragraph 14 protection has been extended from two to five years. But with that, as Mary said, comes uh, addition to 14b. So now the requirement to meet uh, the contained policies and allocations to meet identified needs uh, comes with the words that the uh, the requirement, the housing requirement, uh, which is the target of a neighbour plan meeting identified needs, uh, must have been identified within the last five years. Uh, now, as neighbourhood plans get to years four and five, they may potentially qualify for paragraph 14 protection under A, but it may equally be that they can't then meet the requirements of B because the housing requirement that any allocations are directed at may have slipped past the five-year period. Um, so the effect of the extension from two to five years may in fact be less plastic than appears at first sight due to the new words in 14B, uh, which may act as a degree of a break on the on the liberalisation, if you're a proponent of neighbour plans of 14A. So that's another thing that will need to be worked through. And of course, the, probably the most important thing for plans is justified is back. It didn't get the chop, contrary to the proposal in the in the consultation, which avoids any issues of considering, well, how would how would moving justified and need to consider alternatives fit alongside SEA law, uh, which still exists under the Environmental Assessment of Plans and Programmes regulations, because there's a, a legal requirement to consider reasonable alternatives. And if the policy requirement uh, had fallen away, there may have been a mismatch between law and policy. Anyway, we don't need to worry about that because justified is back. And, and it would avoid the obvious problem of having a plan that wasn't justified. I mean, that was never a good idea. So thank God they've dropped that. And on that, Paul, over to you. Tell us about Greenbelt. Yeah, I, I thought Sasha and I had been forgotten, to be honest, sort of honest for a moment. I was going to go and have my second bacon sandwich in the morning. Uh, uh, either that or stage a coup d'etat in relation to uh, uh, our host. Sasha has dressed up specially for the occasion. I put my special Trump tie on. 
in celebration of the Supreme Court of Colorado. And we just sit here. What can I say? Um, anyway, right. I'm talking about Greenbelt. And that might think might mean that for those that have looked at what the MPPF says differently to Greenbelt, that you might think I don't have much to talk about. Well, I'm going to say something really, really controversial, something really, really important, which is we should actually be proud of the planning system. Those of us that are on the call, those of us that have spent uh, their professional lives working in the system should actually take a step back and be proud because the planning system remarkably has achieved some incredible things. From my perspective, I'm proud to death that I've been involved in schemes like Liverpool Waters um, and Eastlands in Manchester. But the Greenbelt policy, which has been kicking around now since uh, post-war London, and when we were encouraging development of the city centres that have been bombed out uh, by the Luftwaffe in the 1940s, worked. It has worked. It has worked for an awfully long period of time. And the fact that there has been so much uh, attention directed towards Greenbelt policy is probably a testimony to the fact that it's not just worked at a techie level, it's also worked at a public level. So getting Greenbelt right is something which is getting something really important and something that we should be quite proud of right. Unfortunately, Greenbelt is regularly misunderstood. When I started in practice back in the early 14th century, actually 1991, um, Greenbelt uh, was the subject of what was then Secretary of State's letters uh, in relation to structure plans, remember then? Well, they had to be approved by letters from the Secretary of State, and the Secretary of State would habitually say two and a half plan periods was the length of the Greenbelt, and then you should review it. That's what was said back at the start of my career. And at that time, plans were 10 years long, so that meant you had to review the, your Greenbelt every 25 years. That's what the Secretary of State said um, 30 years ago. The Secretary of State now, in the amendments to paragraph 145, has said, exactly the opposite. Uh, we now have it added to paragraph 145 that there is no requirement in policy to review your Greenbelt boundaries when you are doing your local plan. The last words are OTOs because you can't review your Greenbelt boundaries unless you're reviewing your plan. So that therefore means we have, for the first time ever in 70 years of Greenbelt policy, a policy saying we do not have to review our Greenbelt boundaries. It says you can do them if you want to do them, but you don't have to do that. That is a very significant change in relation to national policy. Now, we've we've been coming to it for a while. The revocation of RSS, which which teed up uh, reviews of Greenbelt, has been an important issue. Um, we've got nothing in relation to safeguarded land, but that still remains part of policy, but seems almost to have been forgotten when it comes to many plans in terms of plan making. But the Secretary of State has made a fairly radical change to say to those who are Greenbelt uh, authorities, you don't have to review. I know what the Labour Party have said today, which is reporting the Times, um, not to worry in relation to this, so who knows whether that will get reversed if we have a change of administration. But as matters stand today, we have a really significant change in terms of policy. When you add that to the point that's already been mentioned, which Chris mentioned, which is the key cities policy, which I think is paragraph 62 from recollection of, of our new wonderful MPPF, uh, which says you, the key cities, have got to take your 35% uplift within your key city area and not punt it out to other areas, um, which are usually Greenbelt areas for the 20, 20 key cities. I'm struggling to think of one that wouldn't be. Um, those um, peripheral authorities are more likely to be saying, we're not taking yours. And in any event, even though we could, we're not going to because we don't have to review our Greenbelt boundaries. Um, uh, not exporting need and not having to review your Greenbelt boundaries, I think may be a really seismic shift in how we, we plan in relation to the, to the most sensitive parts 
of our country. And also tucked away the written ministerial statement is the Secretary of State has said in terms that he will intervene more. So to say the example of Leicester that Chris, Chris mentioned, Hinckley and Bosworth um, uh, this week have resolved to sign up to the Memorandum of Understanding of the Authorities uh, in Leicester to take some of Leicester's oversport need. What's a, a Hinckley and Bosworth councillor to do now they're being told this by the Secretary of State, having signed up to all of this? What's a Leicester councillor to do in terms of uh, promoting a plan which relies upon other authorities? We may see a little period of... Um, how can I put it, disruption in terms of how plan making, which is currently underway and at advanced stages, may actually progress. This may have, ironically, uh, the counterproductive uh, 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 intention from, from that which was intended. But in any event, it's a seismic change. The Secretary of State in the written ministerial statement also said that he's uh, somehow um, uh, easing up the policy approach with regard to the use of previously developed land on Greenbelt, and there is a new paragraph in PPG, um, I'm blowed if I can tell what the difference is, because it still appears to be very similar to the previous uh, policy. Um, but we've been told that it means easier, so who knows, maybe behind the scenes that means a relaxation. So in Greenbelt terms, a bit of a seismic change by the introduction of one sentence. Thank you, Charlie, and I won't go home now. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. And uh, last but not least, Sasha, to tell us about everything else. Yes, thank you very much, Charlie. And of course... I do. I like Paul's comment about my jumper because I'm telling you, it's Christmas, frankly. You for you've let me down your Christmas jumpers. I'm wearing swimming shorts. Oh, well done. There we go. Finally, brilliant, excellent. And I also want to say, Charlie, what you said about Jonathan, we all feel deeply and strongly and love him dearly. So we send all our love. And I wanted. I'm going to spend a bit of time on on the written ministerial statement, which principally is very, very important. And there are 15 key themes. Charlie, you've identified one. But the first, of course, and there's been much speculation, the first to note is the commitment we expressed to building the 300,000 houses and building more homes more quickly, more beautifully and more sustainably. Sustainably, that's the first key theme of the, of the written ministerial statement. The second is the criticism about the development plan system, that too many authorities don't have an up-to-date plan, too many take too long, and too many plans do drop deliver what they should do. So I think that's quite important, the reassessment or the restatement by this government that the planning system depends on building houses and on development plans being up-to-date. The third is... Uh, and slide chain, but uh, communities are unprotected from speculative development. Personally, I don't think reference to speculative development is that helpful because it just adds to a sense that people are trying to gain the system. And that might be right, but I just think in our theme of trying to get planning a happier, more collaborative world, the Secretary of State say about speculative development, well, it's a debate. The fourth is the entrenchment of beauty, the importance of beauty um, in the planning system. And as you've said, Charlie, under character, that underpins a key part of that. So entrenchment of the concept of beauty in, in the MPPF and in the Richard Ministerial Statement. And the fifth theme is an, an added responsibility on local government to deliver. I think the Secretary of State is clearly passing the message to the to our local authorities that they really must improve the delivery through the planning system. 
The six, however, is an acceptance that requires additional resource. And one of the things, I've just made a comment about speculative development, but I, I completely endorse the Secretary of State seeking to identify that planning is a noble profession and its role in making our communities work for every citizen is vital. It's, it's really special that a cabinet minister has actually said that and acknowledgement that there needs to be additional resources because we all know whatever side of the fence one sits in planning, there is acknowledgement that current resource levels are inadequate to meet what is required. And therefore, what the Secretary of State says is he will dedicate the very best in central government to work with local authorities to deliver. The next point, and I think it's my seventh, well, as Chris said, it's always dangerous having a list because the judge is actually keeping a note and normally you're two out. I'm trying to keep to seven. Is as I say, there is express acknowledgement that the reforms are seeking to strengthen the delivery of 300,000 houses per annum. The eighth point is the uh, the purpose of planning is emphasised, which is to effectively plan for homes and keep up to date plans in place. I think that's the real reiteration, the prioritisation of those two aspirations are quite important by the Secretary of State. The next point, the eighth, as Paul has said, is the probably this is the um, expression of concern to the 80 Conservative MPs worried, but the government is committed to protecting the Green Belt. And as Paul has identified by what are the changes, that is what is sought to do. The next key theme I wanted to touch on is, and this is something I don't think either any of the four of you mentioned, is the attempt to strengthen protection for agricultural land. We obviously always have an interesting debate about whether best and most versatile should get limited weight, some weight, no weight, etc. But it is the expression of the Secretary of State that it is um, now a consideration in planning decisions in terms of the availability of agricultural land for food production. So that that clarifies that. Tenthly, um, there are concerns about... um, on the character of developers, again, a comment about, I have concerns about examples that the planning system is undermined by irresponsible developers and landowners who persistently ignore planning rules and fail to deliver legal commitments to the community. I mean, I, I, I yeah, it's that that's for debate, but this, clearly the Secretary of State feels that there, there are um, commitments that are in Section 106s that aren't being delivered on, and that is worthy of expression in the written ministerial statement. The 11th is a review into the statutory consultee process, and that is going to happen over the next three months. So look, watch this space as to how we consult on planning applications with statutory consultees, and particularly to get a speedy and effective decision-making. 12th, um, the point you made, Charlie, which really is important, for the first time, there's this identification of the relationship between the COFs regime and officer recommendation and members' decision. And what is said in terms, I've asked the planning inspectorate to start reporting to the department about cases where a successful appeal is made against a planning committee decision and the final decision is the same as the original officer's recommendation. And this is really of quite a quite powerful consequence because I would say the majority of appeals I've done in 23, and I'm sure with the four of you also the same, have had an officer recommendation for approval, and clearly members have gone against that. And I think that that is very, very significant. 
um, about about what might happen. And what is said is the overturning of a recommendation made by a professional specialist officer should be rare and infrequent. Well, that what it should be and what it is are clearly two very distinct things, hence the comment by the Secretary of State. Thirteenth is the quite significant criticism of the London delivery of housing currently. And a, a view is expressed that frankly, London is failing, considerably undershot. The 38,000, as we all know, is significantly below the 2021 London plan target. So the the Secretary of State clearly identifies the London mayor on the naughty step. And 14, the, the output of that is to set up effectively um, a review of the London plan, which will be led by four distinguished members of our profession and identify what changes can be brought to policy to effectively meet the housing requirements and ensure that London provides enough brownfield housing. The final point I want to make is to refer to Paul and my old university. Paul can remember that far back, but Cambridge is now... I mean, what a change. When we were there, you know, could someone turn the lights out at 7pm? Frankly, getting food after 7pm was nice on Impossible. Now it's become the hub of Britain and 150,000 new houses and of course there's going to be this development corporation so the Secretary of State has fallen in love with Cambridge which I can understand but it clearly is going to be the poster child of development over the next 10 to 15 years. So Charlie those are the 15 key themes from the Britain Ministerial Statement. Thank you. Thanks Sasha. Um, the, the question count has now got up to 70 million um, but just to pick up a couple, and maybe so others of you have others uh, you'd like to comment on. Um, somebody has asked in the context again of paragraph two two six and the four year supply for Reg eighteen and nineteen for two years. Would it be enough for Regulation eighteen to have a sort of beauty phrase? They don't have actual proposed allocations, but sort of issues and options type um, a, a number of sites which are consultable. I don't think it would because they wouldn't be proposed allocations. They would be candidates. So it seems to me that wouldn't gain, as Mary said, you have to you have to be pretty specific in, in, an, in an emerging plan in order to get the benefit of that provision. So that's my inclination. I, have um, I don't agree with that, Charlie. Um, I think that if you are promoting um, alternative allocations, um, providing you use language which is clear enough and that those are realistic candidates, um, that that you could potentially use the uh, use the protection because paragraph two two six. Is written in such general as generalized terms. So I look forward to crossing sort of Well, I mean, doesn't that go, doesn't that show that um, whenever there's a change to policy, uh, there's always uncertainties, which will always end up having to be tested. And on that, uh, there's a number of people who think that the issue of whether an application is made means submitted or validated isn't isn't as simple as Mary and I think. Um, so again, straight away, difference as a professional opinion on on what these new words actually mean. So. And ultimately, it's inevitable, and it would have been placed in by government that some of these points will need to be uh, tested. Um, so I'm not allowed to say names. Somebody has asked about the, the the new policy on agricultural land, which refers to land use for food production. I, I don't know why that terminology has been used. I wonder whether it's because quite a lot of BMV ends up being sort of paddock land that's never actually been used for farming for a very long time and often isn't viable to be used for farming in the event development proceed, doesn't proceed. So... I wonder whether that's the thinking. I think uh, yeah. I think the reason behind that is lots of campaign groups are, are focusing on the the value of agricultural land as delivering food in the context of the rising food prices and so on. So I think it's a 
um, it's designed to make it more difficult for development. Um, somebody has asked, what impact does the panel think the MPPF will have on housing supply? Um, so overall, what, what's the effect of all this? That's a very fair question. Well, my own view is it's not as bad as we thought it might be, but I think there's going to be um, a negative effect if we see lots of local authorities seeking to deviate from the standard method. And Sasha made a really important point, his seventh, I think, which is that, you know, we this is all designed to get to 300,000. So if local plan inspectors are going to allow a lower figure, they've got to think about the consequence of that for achieving 300,000. We have too much deviation from the standard method. There won't be um, 300,000. And those urban authorities, I hear what Paul says and what he says about the Greenbelt, but let's be clear. Those urban sites very rarely deliver significant or meaningful amounts of affordable housing. And we're going to see a situation where a lot of those authorities continue to fail. London fails across the board in terms of its delivery. So um, we wait to see what the review is going to produce um, in terms of London. But the reality is, as many people have pointed out, unless you go into the green belt, we won't hit 300,000. Um, Chris, just, just to be clear, I certainly wasn't suggesting that those authorities will actually meet the key city t- targets. What I was saying is it provides an incentive for the peripheral authorities not to meet it um, and to change their mind in relation to meeting it. And one of the things I thought was really interesting was that the Secretary of State um, expressly deprecates the authorities that are, quote, gaming the system. Uh, and one way that I've seen uh, the system gained relatively recently, um, uh, no names, no patrols, is authorities with older plans that have done what what was until yesterday, paragraph uh, footnote 74, uh, sorry, paragraph 74 assessments has said, my old plan figure is up to date, therefore I don't need to do the uh, uh, key cities uplift and fingers crossed it, uh, the next administration won't, won't bring it forward. That notion that the Secretary of State will deprecate gaming the system really is something that ought to be in PPG because you shouldn't be interpreting PPG in a way which games the system. But I'm certainly not saying the key cities will be able to meet the, the shortlift. In fact, the experience of the last five years is that they won't meet the, the shortfall. Yeah, so will they hit be- 300,000, Paul? Will they hit 300,000 with these policies? Um, the, the, the graph in the Times this morning, which showed uh, when we have come anywhere close to meeting that, has only been when we've build, been building council houses. And between 1962 and 1981, when we actually did exceed that target, was when we built council houses. Um, once we got to the early 1980s and stopped doing that, the private sector has never come anywhere close to it. I don't think we will meet 300,000. And I think part of the reason is that there is a serious disconnect between the main principal uh, figure and the way in which we actually secure its delivery. Um, I, I'm all for the Secretary of State saying that we should encourage plan making. But the effect of these, I think, will take some considerable period of time to to flesh out. And I struggle to think that this will let us meet 300,000. But I do wonder whether or not we, we do need to go back to the notion of, of being a little bit more, more forthright about whereabouts below 300,000 we should be aiming uh, when we're looking at, dare I say, regions. I mean, well, I'd... I think I'd like to I'd like to end on a positive note, uh, and we must end in very quickly because Jonathan needs to go and watch Lorraine on telly, and that's very important. Um, I think there will be um, more local plans. Uh, I think that you know this is what this is directed to. I also think there'll be more players. I mean, it's not all about building houses for sale. Build to rent. Build mm. to rent, um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be exclusively public sector. Uh, uh, sorry, private sector build to rent. 
So I, I would like to end on a more optimistic note and hope that um, this will uh, lead to more local plans. And I, I think there's going to be some testing local plan examinations around can you just ignore the green belt versus if you do that, what price do local communities play uh, within your urban areas and fringes? Because you do need to provide a sufficient number of housing. Sufficient is important. So you can't get away with no housing, inadequate housing just because you don't do a green belt review. I, I would, you know, I think once the, the, once the new local plans have an opportunity to come forward, uh, because obviously the effect on supply has got to be measured over the mid to long term rather than the first year, um, it, it, there's every, every chance that, um, that the government's ambition in terms of incentivising local authorities to get, get plans in place to deliver sufficient homes will be achieved. One last last point. Um, don't forget what hasn't changed. For example, paragraph 81 on economic benefits, now paragraph 85, that old chestnut, does that mean significant weight or not? It's going to court in March. That's not changed. The sequential test on flood risk, as to which there's been a, a flurry of I think three three recent uh, appeal dismissals now, two of which are being conjoined and being heard next month on what the sequential test means. That's not being changed. So quite a few things um, will still need to be from the old framework that weren't resolved um, in terms of ambiguities will still need to be resolved under the new one. Um, Charlie, Charlie, yes. as Martin Twigg has pointed out, we may not have this MPPF for very much longer. Or we may. Yeah, I just yeah. Say, if, if we're talking about timescales, can I just say on a much lighter note, we should celebrate, we should say thank you to our viewers. This is our yeah. fourth Christmas special. We've been going for four years and we're only going because people choose to watch us. So we want must say thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really, really appreciate it and we wish you all the best possible Christmas. I think mean, that's valuable to say. And also, you'll find it quite amusing. While I was talking about Cambridge, I've had a Christmas card from the University of Cambridge Vice Chancellor, who was obviously listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, send me one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happy Christmas to you. Happy Christmas if you celebrate it. Happy holidays if you don't. Have a great new year. We're back. I think it's the 11th of January with an interview with the Attorney General, which we've pre-recorded. So that's going to be happening with some case reports. Enjoy Christmas. Don't spill turkey and gravy on your NPPS. And see you in 24. Merry Christmas, team. Merry Christmas. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.